the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Do you need to break up with your parents? And later, we've got some good news for you. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Thursday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And if you've missed any of today's show, as always, we love to invite you to go back and catch up on our podcast, wherever it is you cast those pods of yours. We also love engaging with you on social media. We are at Common Good Talk on the Instagram. And Brian, we're going to talk about kind of a difficult topic in just a minute, the idea of breaking up with your parents. But before we do that, I want to share some good news with our people. Big Daddy Weave is going to be in town for their Only the Beginning tour on Sunday, March 19th at Christ Community Church in Naperville. Is Christ Community the Yellow Box Church? No, that's Community Christian. Ah, that's I always get all the different names mixed up. Okay, don't. All right, so we're talking about Christ Community Church in Naperville. You can join Big Daddy Weave on March 19th. Music from their, all of their albums will be played along with music from special guests. For a chance to win a pair of tickets, visit 1160hope.com. Use the keyword tour, that's T-O-U-R. Or for more information, you can go to Big Daddy Weave dot com big daddy weave dot com okay brian we're gonna talk about something kind of heavy there's this new book out about uh an author who quote broke up with her mom and i saw this in a couple places she was on oprah she was on a podcast like i saw this author kind of you know making the rounds doing her book promo but then i had a friend who sent it to me and she Mm. was like weeping because it it triggered a lot of her and I know triggers kind of a Gen Z word or whatever, but it triggered a lot of her mother wounds and her story is a little difficult. My, my friend, because her mom abandoned her when she was young and she ended up being raised by her grandma. So she's got a lot of pain with her mom. But what's interesting as an adult, my friend feels a lot of pressure to try to reconnect with her mom, even though her mom hasn't necessarily made initiation towards her. So I think mm. whatever this concept of like breaking up with your parents in particular for her hit really hard, like should she kind of just walk away and stop trying to reconcile? Anyway, all that to say, you know, the idea of breaking up with your parents is, I think, really, really difficult really, really extreme. Uh, One of the things that people will probably try to talk you out of, I'm guessing. And yet there may come a time in people's lives when it's time to do that and maybe not end the relationship totally, but take a break, take a breather, take a season. Mm. What do you think about that concept I mean, it's so it's I was going to say pastorally, but let's not even go there. What do you think about this? Like, how do we know when it's time to sort of, quote unquote, break up with our parents or let's even broaden it? Family members, in-laws, like yeah. any, anybody in your life who's I mean, let's put them in sort of a toxic, fraught category. When do you end the relationship? So 
that's where this gets tricky. Mm-hmm. So I think there's there's gradations of this, right? Like, yeah. So your friend is telling this story of like, listen, my mom literally abandoned me, mm-hmm. has shown no desire to be in relationship with me, but I still have this weird feeling like I should want to be in relate. Like that's that's deep versus like. Hey, my parents, are, uh, I'm an adult now, but they keep hovering. Right, right. Like, right. like those are very different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's keep it on parents, right? So I think in those toxic situations where people close to you, a therapist or whatever, are like, hey, you need out of that relationship. Yeah. I think that's, as an adult, Yeah. Uh, nothing says that, that that's not, that's okay to do. It's mm-hmm. difficult, but that's okay to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of it, when you when you bring up, right? Like I, you and I are we're we're young enough to remember what it was like when you first are getting married and you mm-hmm. first aren't living at home. And yeah. there there can be this arrogance that's like, I need to leave my parents behind, right? Yeah. Two shall become one. Leave right. and cleave. Leave and cleave. Do you want to know that's what's changed that for me? Mm. Having children. Could wow. you imagine? If you did all you could to be mm. a good parent, so we're not talking about the toxic situation. Right, right. Can you imagine getting to the like into adulthood and your parent and your kids being like, I want nothing to do with No, you? Like, I, I would, absolutely my cannot. Point being, my point being, or could you imagine if two of your siblings, two of your children who are siblings got to that point? Oh, devastating, I right? I like... It would be devastating outside mm-hmm. of like, hey, we all see the issues here and it needs to happen. Yeah. And so I, I bring that up to say, I, I don't take, don't do this flippantly. Don't yeah. do this. Because there's a big difference with breaking up with your parents mm-hmm. versus forming boundaries. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're going to have some boundaries. Like, That's I can't good, talk Brian. to you every day anymore. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Um, I can't. Not only can I not talk to you every day, but I can't feel that expectation. Hmm. I might not come home for every holiday. Yeah. I've got my own family now. Right. Like those are boundaries. Yes. As opposed to, gosh, mom, you expect me to call you every day. So I'm never calling you ever again. And don't ever call me like that is. Yeah. There does come this youthful arrogance. That's like, I know better than my parents. Hmm. Therefore, I don't need them in my life. Uh, and then you get to the age where you're like, oh, no, that's not true. <laughs> I actually kind of wish they had a relationship with my kids or I do need them. Right, or... right. And, and so, again, Brian, just to be clear, Brian's not talking about like toxic, abusive situations. That's different. But just, yeah, when when perhaps there some boundaries do need to be set. OK, how about this? What if you're on the receiving end and you don't understand why? So let's say you're. Your Madeline, Madeline, uh, Madeline, Emily grows up, right? And they say to you, dad, I love you so much. And I know you won't understand, but I need to take a break from our relationship to heal myself and improve our relationship. And this is impossible in your situation because you guys are a very close knit family. So maybe that's an unfair place to put it. But let's say you, your child one day does come to you as like the one they need to set boundaries from because you've been an overbearing parent or you haven't honored their boundaries or maybe you've been a little bit too whatever moody. Uh, <laughs> then what? Like, how do you receive that? Do you think? I would not receive it well at all. I don't know I a parent say, that would. <laughs> now, I would like to think that we've had a a 
Like that, that wouldn't be a surprise, right? Yeah. Like we've been working on our relationship yeah. for a yeah. long time. So there's backstory to this. But other than that, I would say, uh, I love you. Your mother loves you. Let's go to counseling together. Mm. Let's do this. Let's figure out what the boundaries can be. Mm. Like we don't need to go from, you know, in relationship to out of relationship overnight. You want to know else this gets really complicated? Where's that? Uh, man, we're going to bring it up for a lot of people <laughs> here. Uh Somebody has a fine relationship with their parents and then marries somebody who doesn't have a good, who doesn't want anything to do oh, with their parents. Oh, man, that's, we could talk about that. We might need a whole show to talk about that, but that is <laughs> real. Like in-law drama or in-law struggles yeah. becomes very, very difficult and challenging. I mean, that would be really it? hard. Like if I had a good relationship with one, with one of my daughters, say. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I do. And mm-hmm. she married a man. Now, again, hopefully we've done this work, but she marries a guy and there's tension between that guy and yeah. me or the tension between yeah. that guy and, and Carrie. Woo! And all of a sudden that ruins my relationship. Yeah. With my daughter. I can't imagine that. But people no. listening go through that. They like, go through I that just, all the time. Yep. Uh, in-law stuff. Woo, oh, very, man. Very, we got to just talking. I feel like we just got to stop and pray for everybody. Lord, help us with our relationships. Well, coming up next, we are joined by our friends, pastors Andrew Arndt and Daniel Grothy of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. They're both authors. They both lead pretty big churches. So we're going to talk about the writing life. We're going to talk about leading in this day and age. Going to talk about a lot more with them. We'll do that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, hope for your life. We are thrilled to be joined by some new friends of ours, pastors Andrew Arndt and Daniel Grothy of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. We're here uh, with them today because they are doing all the things. They're writing, they're podcasting, they're leading, and we just kind of wanted to pick their brains and hear their hearts on the church today and on balancing all of the things, basically. So Andrew and Daniel, thanks so much for being here with us today. Happy to be with you guys. Thanks for having us. Um, Andrew, let's start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your work both at the church and then, uh, I, I don't want to say outside of the church necessarily, mm-hmm. but as a side, kind of your side hustle of writing. Um, well, I'm the lead pastor of one of our congregations, New Life East. We meet on the east side of Colorado Springs. Been doing that for three years. And I serve on our senior executive team here at the church, helping to manage the ministry of the church alongside Daniel and several others. And then I also spearhead, we have a ministry to pastors and leaders around the country that we call Essential Church. So we have a semi-annual learning community that we put on. We have pastors from around the country come for a couple days of conversation. And then we also also do um, a more or less weekly podcast interviewing writers, authors, theologians, practitioners, just people who are doing good work in the field. So, and then I also write some. I've written a couple books with Nav Press and am in a doctoral program at Western Theological Seminary. So, yeah, all the things. Other than that, you got nothing going on, though. Other no. That, all the free time in the world. Yeah. Daniel, how about you? Uh, Tell us a little bit more about yourself at the church and outside the church. Yeah, so Andrew and I are in that doctoral program together. So we're a year away from finishing that. So we're good job. Yeah, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Written a couple books the last few years. Been here at New Life for 18 years and lead our Friday night congregation and help at what we jokingly call our mothership Mm -hmm. on Sundays. And so, yeah, office right next to each other. We've known each other for 20 plus years and really love the work. 
That's so fun. I love like friends co-partnering together for the gospel. That's so cool. Um, so Andrew, let me ask you this about the Essential Church podcast. Why did you guys start it and what's kind of the hope? Well, we started actually our senior pastor spearheaded it. Pastor Brady spearheaded it almost six years ago when I came on staff. It was one of the first things that he said to me was like, hey, I've been wanting to start a podcast. And would you be willing to be the guy that leads it? And so it was really a way for us just to talk about what we were learning together and what we were seeing and experiencing in the church. So a lot of the conversations just started out as kind of uh, myself, Brady, Daniel, and then Glenn Packiam, uh, one of our colleagues who's since gone on to be at Rock Harbor Church in California. But He's it was been a lot on our of show before, too. Oh, cool. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of shop talk. And then uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say that we ran out of things to say, but at some point we started going, we should just like interview a lot of people who are also <laughs> doing great work. So we've interviewed some cool folks like N.T. Wright. I was just listening to, we interviewed Tom Holland a couple years back, the guy no who wrote the book Dominion and lots of other folks just interviewed Chuck DeGroat yesterday talking about narcissism coming to church. Oh, and wow. So it's fun. It's like we call it an ongoing conversation about all the stuff that we're wrestling with as pastors and leaders. Oh, that's awesome. I know. Daniel, I know for us doing the show, one of the beauties of it is as you talk to these people, it stretches your mind. You kind of mm-hmm. grow. You got to think. Uh, how's it been for you getting to sit down with uh, colleagues, but also writers and other thinkers? What's it done to your faith and kind of your ministry? It throws open a whole new world. I mean, to me, the saddest people on the planet to be around are people who are 50 years old who are working with what they learned by 25. Mm. And so to mm. constantly be learning, to, staying on the, to stay on the front foot, to ask good questions, to engage conversation partners, the world is big. And we have this technology that's available to us. So really just ask, put yourself in the way of learning and, and see what you might find out along the way. So for me, for Andrew, it's been fun to sharpen each other in our craft, to keep learning, but also to bring those conversations forward to a larger audience that wants to learn with us. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. I want to switch for a minute uh, to both of you guys and talk a little bit about the subjects of your book. Andrew, you write a lot about desert places and finding God there. Can you kind of unpack that for us? Nice! Streams in the Wasteland. This is a beautiful book, by the way. Uh, Thank you. I appreciate that. I went through a pretty significant personal crisis six or seven years ago that exploded some personal hopes and dreams for me and kind of left me in a place where I was having to contemplate a plan B maybe for the first time in my life. I'd always Mm. been kind of in plan A. And I found God in unexpected and unique ways in it. And I think I was formed in ways that I always hoped I could be formed inside my plan A. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I discovered it needed, I needed to get thrown into a plan B to go to those, some of those places. So um, I don't know. You know, Daniel said to me one time we were talking about writing. And he said, you know, I think that authors don't choose books yeah. or topics so much as the topics choose them. So and he's true. right about that. I think, it, I think writing about this stuff kind of chose me in some ways having grown up in the Pentecostal charismatic tradition, we just didn't have a good theology for what happens when life comes apart at the seams. Yeah. And so my own journey of discovery the last few years, I think has resulted in me going, I just want to share this with people. Cause I think that God is found not just in the places of light, but he's the God of the light and the dark too. And in mm-hmm. some ways, in some places, in some ways there are um, places that you can only go with God inside the dark. So both of the books uh, have been an attempt just to say those things. Yeah, Andrew, I'd love to real fast just dive down into that a little bit. Um, 
most people think when plan A goes away, then you're done, right? Mm -hmm. Like plan A and then what, what was plan B for you? What, what did that look like? If you could share kind of some of that story a little bit. Well, I mean, I had a pretty rigid idea of how everything was supposed to go. We had planted a church in Denver with some friends and I just had written the script. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to do this. We're going to hire a bunch of staff. We're going to start making money. We'll plant a bunch of churches. We have a cool ministry model we're working with. I'm going to write about this and speak about this. Mm. And then I'm going to, you know, retire semi at 65, but keep preaching and I'm going to die at 90. 90 in the pulpit, you know, like, mm. and they'll bury me in the backyard. That was just the the plan. And, uh, you know, I've heard it said that if you want to hear God laugh, you make plans. And yeah, um, it just wasn't in the cards. And so in the middle of all my desolation, I think actually the way that God leads us the most in our lives is through our friendships. Mm. And so in the middle of all the desolation, Daniel had been real close to us. He was an overseer for our church. Mm. I'd gotten to know the folks at New Life really well. And they just kind of said, look, if you are done there and you don't know what's next, why don't you just come and be with us and That's help awesome. us with the work? And I think for me, the last six years has been a rediscovery of destiny in the humbler key of relationships, maybe is the way to say it. Like, let's just be together with people that we love and try to stay inside good work. And let's not let our egoism so good. run rampant. So yeah. uh, we're still dreaming big dreams, but yeah. I think trying to live a day at a time and enjoying being in the yoke yeah. with each other. And Jesus, so. That's fantastic. Yeah. Daniel, um, we'll come back and talk some more about your book. But before we uh, go to break, would you tell us a little bit about the power of place? Yes, I did not know until seminary. I knew, uh, let me tell you what I knew. I knew that saints of old would take vows of charity with their money. Yeah. I knew that they would take vows of chastity with their sexuality. I knew that they would take vows of obedience to scripture. But what I did not know until about 15 years ago was that the very first vow that St. Benedict called the church to take when the church was waking back up mm. was the vow of stability in place. Wow. Put down roots and try to die there. And so in our age of wanderlust, in our age of uh, hyper transience, in our age where we've got the deepest pockets we've ever had, but maybe the, the we're most bankrupt relationally, yeah. um, recovering the vow of stability might just be a gift. What in the world does that mean, Daniel? Unpack that for our listeners. Well, when you read Christian history, when you look through the scriptures, even you see that the saints are always from somewhere. Hmm. We think that the saints are these sort of free floating figures that hover above, you know, they're just out there in the ether, sprinkling down really good works among the people. But when you read the story, like the saints are so specifically from hmm. a place, you've got Hildegard of Bingen, St. Francis of Assisi, hmm. you've got St. Teresa of Calcutta, and you've got Jesus of Nazareth. Hmm. It starts with God who is the word who is made flesh dwelling among us. And so we don't have a God that's distant. We don't have a God that's depersonalizing. We don't have a God that works remotely. We have a God that is among the people. He moves into the neighborhood. Yeah. And, and I think we as Christians have forgotten that in the mm. last maybe hundred years or so when we've had more options than any other society, when we can work remotely, we don't have to be our church, our pastors don't even have to be at church. It's so true. Mm -hmm. And so we've we've learned that we can we can just be distant. And actually, I think in this age of loneliness, in this age of high anxiety, in this age where we're medicating, like we've got to ask, how's this human experiment working out for us? Mm. 
And I think it's time for us to root back in. I think it's time for us to to get smaller. Mm. I think it's time for us to be more local and live this more stability. And I I think we'll find ourselves happier. Mm. Wow. Man, that's good. I, I Aubrey, I just found two more books I need to pick up. So there we go. <laughs> I appreciate this. Uh, Andrew, let me ask you this. Uh, Aubrey and I are both pastors. You guys are pastors. So really broad question. Uh, why do you like being a pastor? What do you like about the church? And what do you what do you look forward? Like when you look forward towards the church, what do you see coming down the pike? Are you are you excited about the future of the church? Good question. Well, when I, I'm born and raised in the church, so I just love the church. My parents helped to plant the church that I grew up in. They were elders there until I was 25 or so. And so I grew up going to church twice on Sunday morning and Sunday night services and Wednesday night services and prayer meetings. (laughs) And I think what I like about the church is that it's this beautiful nexus between the, um, the secular and the sacred, the mystical and the material. And I saw that when I was a kid, I saw people's lives changed. I saw the spirit dance among the people of God. And I think I'm about five, six, seven years old. I think I just knew, like, I whatever I do with my life, I just want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Whatever that is, sign me up for it. Especially the preaching. I can remember being really little and watching my pastor preach and go, and I just thought to myself, that, whatever that yeah. is, that's sort of like the use of words that yes. opens up windows to the other world. Yeah. And the breeze of eternity is blowing in and blowing over us. I want to do that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm just in love with the church. I think it's beautiful. It's not perfect but it's beautiful and it seems like a worthy thing to give my life to as to what do I see for the church in the future? We, uh, when Daniel was talking about these figures, when he started saying St. Teresa of, mm. I thought he was going to end it with Avila. And <laughs> my favorite quote is hers, yeah. where she says, though our sight is poor and the dust on the road blinds us in contemplation, the Lord leads us safely to our journey's end without our knowing how. Mm. And I love that because I think that's a picture of the life of faith yeah. is that we tuck in behind the rabbi. We tuck in behind the master and he knows where we're going and he knows what's coming and he knows how to bring us safely home. And we don't need to know a thing about it. We just need to stay close to him. So honestly, Brian, and I'm not trying to be dodgy. I've given up trying to make predictions on where the church is going. (laughs) I'm trying to stay close to Jesus and I'm trying to stay close to my local work, you know, Mm -hmm. like what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'll let Jesus Mm -hmm. uh, sort out the details of that. Daniel, I'll ask you a similar question. It's a question we sometimes ask of pastors that come on the show, just especially in light of what we, especially in our neck of the woods in Chicago, I know you guys have experienced some of this too, what we've seen from pastors and how we've seen uh, people falling away. We've seen a lot of immorality and toxic abuse of power. Are you hopeful for the church still? I think I know the answer to that, but if so, what makes you hopeful? What makes me hopeful is talking to pastors that nobody will ever know. Mm. And hearing the incredible work that they're doing, uh, what makes me hopeful is seeing um, single parents come into the church, widows come into the church who have nobody else, but they find a band of people to travel with. I think Mm. a good metaphor for us is the people of God wandering through the wilderness for 40 years before they get to the promised land. It's like the tribes are just kind of traveling together Mm. until, and some of them are dying along the way and but they've got this hope for the promised land and so you just journey together i think each generation in the bible is 40 years 
And I think if you just give yourself over to a place for mm. 40 years and to a people for 40 years, some people are going to die along the yeah. way. You're going to have to lift up their arms. You're going to have to help people raise their kids. But we're all going to make it together. Mm. And so, yes, if you read the headlines and if you, you know, the hype machine, the, the doom out there, if you doom scroll on Twitter, you're going to think the church is, is going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. But on the ground, there's vitality. There's yeah. life. There's joy, there's simplicity, there's humility. And so I would say put the phone down and go look some people in the face <laughs> and live your life serving them. Have them to your home and do that for 40 years and tell me if you hate hey, it. Amen. That's good. That's a good word. <laughs> Man, that's a, that's a really good word. I, you guys are just preaching now. So, Andrew, I would like to yeah. let's end with the same question. Uh, you touched on it before, but I'm sure you are hopeful for the church. But how would you answer where your hope comes from for the future of the church? Well, do you know on the human level— I'll answer it two different ways. On the human level, I think what's got me really hopeful is running into more and more pastors and leaders, you know, about uh, our age here, so early 40s, mid-career pastors, who have seen the moral and spiritual devastation mm-hmm. in the church, and they're seeking a better way, and then up and coming behind us, you know, early career pastors who are hungry for a better way. And I'm watching people revisiting, I'm watching them revisit the ancient wisdom mm-hmm. of like, look, seeking power is a bad thing. Yeah. Unlimited expansion of your boundaries is a bad thing. Yeah. Living a Sabbathless existence is a bad thing. Yeah. We've got to mm-hmm. do this better. So on yeah. the human level, I'm really hopeful because of those things. But on a different level, you know, the great missiologist Leslie Newbegin once said, I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Yeah. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and the hope for the church is that the man of Nazareth was lifted up from death and he reigns in the power of the spirit and so even if on the human level the calculus of what's happening seems like it's not going to come out in the kingdom's favor Jesus is Lord he's going to have his way and I honestly don't say that to you know I don't mean that to be like a churchy answer that just does give me a great deal of rest and peace Jesus is Lord of the church he's carrying us to go Always has Amen. been, always will be. So good. Um, okay, guys, thanks so much for being here with us today. Where can our listeners uh, connect with you, find your podcast, all that fun stuff? Uh, DanielGrothy.com, G-R-O-T-H-E, uh, and AndrewArnt.com. And then social media, I'm at the Andrew Arndt. He's at Mr. Daniel Grothy. That's right. Nice. Good yep. job yep. promoting your friend there. I appreciated that, Andrew. Yep, that thank thank you for that. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, you guys. It's so encouraging to Much hear love. from you. Really, really appreciate you. you You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Samson, and I am so excited, beyond thrilled, so honored, because I am joined today by two women who have become friends of mine, Christy and Hannah from SOS International. And I don't know, listeners, if you remember, their their return guests, Brian and I decided to have them back on The Common Good because we are so passionate about the ministry that they run, the work that they do, helping care for uh, women and children from around the world in situations of human trafficking. And so, Christy and Hannah, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. For our listeners who may not be familiar with SOS International, 
International. Christy Anthony, I'm going to start with you. Just tell us who this organization is. What do you do? Absolutely. So we are SOS International, and we work to build sustainable solutions for the problems that at-risk children face. We just think that some of these things should be addressed, and so we are working on four main areas. We do feeding, water, community development, and then what we're here to talk about today, which is trafficking, uh, rescue, and rehabilitation. And we are just so passionate about helping specifically children who are vulnerable to these things find holistic care inside of communities and to see them grow and thrive into adulthood. So we are so excited to be with you talking about trafficking, rescue, and rehabilitation. And we're just so thankful for you and the Common Good team. Thanks for having us back this year. It is such a privilege. And I'll just go ahead and put this out here for our listeners. One month of complete care for a child or a woman who has been or being rescued from human trafficking is what we're asking from you today. That's $150. And that covers the cost really of... Actually, Hannah, I'll ask you, if you don't mind, Hannah Wehunt, tell us what our listeners' $150 gift goes to for a month. Yeah, that covers the complete care of a trafficked girl. So that looks like a safe place to sleep, bedding. That looks like practical things we need like clothing, sanitary projects, medical care. You know, these women are in very intense situations. They almost always have very specific medical needs that need addressed. So it looks like medical care. It looks like satriatic care. That looks like vocational training, education. Just kind of covers the holistic plan to get them into a place where they can then be reintegrated into society. Chris, you can give your life-changing gift now by clicking the SOS banner at 1160hope.com or if you're driving, grab your cell phone and dial pound or hashtag 250, that's pound 250, and say Chicago Cares. We'll connect you to someone who will receive your gift. You can also call that same number, pound 250, and opt in to get a text message sent to your phone so you can give when you're not driving. I would love to hear from you because I think a lot of people, at least a lot of our listeners, would say human trafficking is bad and I want to do something about it. But then I think we sort of maybe don't even understand what we're talking about. So can you give us an idea when you're saying you're helping rehabilitate rescue children? um, What exactly what are the situations like? Like, what does it mean that these kids around the world are being trafficked? It's a big question, Aubrey, for sure. Um, You know, For a lot of the kids that we work with, it starts out as a whole bunch of factors that go against them that put them in a situation that make them vulnerable. And then there are actually predators out there that prey upon these children. And so, you know, for some kids, it looks like a neighbor that abuses and then exploits them. For others, it's happened inside of the family. Um, For some, you know, Mm. unfortunately, there are a whole bunch of kids whose parents are not able to take care of them. And so it looks like points of abuse that then get exploited. And so each of these kids have a different story, but they all have a common theme. And that common theme is, is they have a lack of basic needs. They have a lack of somebody that was able to care for and provide for them. And then over a series of events that just gets exploited until the place that that child finds themselves being trafficked over and over again. And so it's, it's a little bit complex in how it happens because I feel like it's slow. Yeah. But at the same time, it's it's mm. a deep vulnerability within a child. And in a lot of these situations, um, you know, you can prevent it. 
which is really where we like to operate is inside of the prevention side of things, but it requires you being able to step in and, and offer things like food. Uh, talking about food and human trafficking is a connection yeah. that a lot of people don't always make, but we see that as a really effective wow. tool in preventing trafficking is being able to help provide food for these kids. Cause a lot of the stories that we hear is it was actually a lack of food that led to hmm. those children being exploited. Wow. It is. I mean, it's, it's awful, but it's helpful, Christy, I think for us to understand the situation and how things kind of get to the point where kids are in a situation where, yeah, they just need food. They just need to eat. They just need care. And so sometimes this evil happens as a result of need. But I think what's so beautiful about SOS and our partnership with you is listeners, we're inviting you to, to really be the, the answer, at least in this way to um, the situations that some of these kids are in. And I know a lot of you woke up this morning like feeling sort of purposeless and feeling maybe the the winter or spring doldrums and wanting to do something different with your life, wanting to make a difference, wanting to leave a legacy. And there's probably one of you out there that has been praying about like, what can I do, God? Is there something that you want me to do to make a difference in the world? This really is the opportunity. You can actually go to our website, 1160hope.com, click on the SOS International banner, or we have something new that you can do. If you're driving and it's a little too dangerous to pull out your phone and go online. You can pull out your phone, but do something really quick. Do this. Dial hashtag 250. That's actually a shortcut phone number. Hashtag or pound sign 250. You're going to be asked to say um, a prompt. You say the words Chicago Cares. What that's going to do is get you a link on your phone so that later you can click on it and you can give a gift to SOS International today. Here's what's incredible. Your gift of $150 will provide a rehabilitation Rehabilitation, care, medical needs, food, water for children being rescued from human trafficking today. And we're really asking and praying for five of you to give something now. Five of you to go on our website, 1160hope.com, click on that SOS international banner. And what's incredible is we actually have a generous match. So the first six gifts of support will not only go to one woman, but will be multiplied for two women. All right, um, Hannah, how did you even get started? Like, how did your work with SOS International begin? Yeah. Um, so I am a photojournalist by trade. I studied that uh, at good old UNT, which is in Texas. So probably none of you will know that. And just really had a passion to use, you know, story and communicating really the stories of the least of these, you know, uh, trafficked women and girls. They're part of the most unseen group of society. Mm. Um, and there's so much misinformation spread about what trafficking looks like. And I had encountered it a couple of times growing up and just kind of realized that I wanted to use my skills and my passions to promote their stories and bring freedom and rescue to those areas and help uncover the unseen. I love that that's your heart because I also think that's the heart of God. And I know that's the heart of our listeners. Would you make freedom possible for women and children trapped in human trafficking? $150 provides a month of safe shelter 
shelter and restoration ministry for a woman or child coming out of trafficking. And right now, every gift is doubled to provide rescue and restoration for two victims of trafficking. What a massive and eternal difference you can make. Please give right now. Call 866-343-4717. That's 866-343-4717. And make freedom possible today. Every gift of $150 given during this program will be matched to have twice the impact. Once again, we love the work of SOS International. would love to invite you to go to our website, 1160hope.com, and click on that SOS International banner today. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.